0: Welcome to the very first episode of Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me lesson that I am very, very excited to be doing just to briefly kind of introduce it and what it is so you can have some expectations. It's weekly following the lessons in Come Follow Me. It's meant to be tailored towards youth and the individual and unique experiences they're having right now as inspired by one of my younger sisters, Zany, and my mom. I hope that this will be something that will not replace your study, but will go in addition to it. And it's also a way that I can just share my testimony that I love of the scriptures and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited to be doing this every week. I'd love to hear thoughts from you as well. Get in touch. That that will come later. So let's get started with the first section on Moses chapter 1 and Abraham chapter 3. So how the episode is going to go is just going to briefly take it chapter by chapter and go accordingly, kind of give a a refresh about the chapter, explain what happened, point out the doctrines or principles or other teachings or lessons we can pull from it, and then at the very end, talk about what is the focus, what are the things that we can apply to our lives and take away from this. All right, so let's start with Moses chapter 1. So briefly, just to give you an introduction about the history of the book of Moses. So the full name of the book is actually Selections from the Book of Moses. These are extracts from the translation of the Bible that Joseph Smith was doing between June 1830 and February 1831. So Joseph Smith was translating the Bible. He started in Genesis. Moses, the book of Moses at the eight chapters of it is considered the first 6 chapters of Genesis. Specifically the Joseph Smith translation in the Bible mentions that it's Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through Genesis chapter 6 verse 13. So those books Were written. And through the translation and years that the Bible was on the earth, and it was translated to be between many languages and adjusted by many different religions and rulers to focus on what they understood, and a lot of truths were taken out. We see that talked about consistently in the Book of Mormon and in this very chapter of Moses. There was a lot that was lost, a lot of powerful and important truths that were lost. So this book of Moses is a translation of that, bringing back those truths and how important they are to us. So the book of Moses and of course the book of Abraham really is a pearl of great price that has a lot of truths that are sacred to us and important and I'm very grateful for. The book of Moses is one that I've always loved, particularly Moses chapter 1 has been one of my favorite verses of scripture for a very, very long time. There's truths in particularly the first half of it that I've never forgotten, that have stuck with me since the time I read it. So I'm very, very excited to be starting with this chapter of scripture. So let's talk a little bit more about Genesis chapter one and how this is a translation of this and how powerful the differences we see are. So as so many people know, Genesis chapter one starts with the words, the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And that's it. That's how the Bible scripture starts. In the book of Moses, the first verse starts very differently. The words of God, which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain. That's the first verse, but particularly those first words, the words of God, which he spake unto Moses. That is a a much more personal experience between heavenly father and one of his children. It's not just in the beginning, God created heaven. This is an experience, an intimate and personal experience and immediately signifies a difference Between our relationship and Heavenly Father, and how we understand Him as truly our Father in heaven. It's really amazing. So let's get into the verses here and see what they teach us as well. So, as we start reading, right, this is a vision that Moses had, as the chapter summary gives us. Moses is transfigured to be able to stand in the presence of God and have a vision. He has a vision of kind of the creation of all the worlds and all of God's creations and of His children. And it starts with. The, the chapter starts with explaining how Moses was able to be in the face of God, and then gets into God's words and says, Behold, I am the Lord God Almighty, and endless is my name. And he, he kind of introduces himself and his infinite power and how endless he truly is. And then he says, And behold, thou art my son. So the very first thing he does after properly introducing himself and explaining his significance and his glory, he tells Moses that he is his son. How powerful that would that be to experience an almighty being expressing to you how endless they are and how they're out without beginning or ending and you are their son. It's very, very powerful. I've always loved that. And Moses goes on to be told by the Lord that there's a work that he needs to do and it's very, very important and Moses needs to do it. Um, He says in verse six, I have a work for thee, Moses, my son, and thou art in the similitude of my only begotten. And then he testifies of the savior and my only begotten is and shall be the Savior, for he is full of grace and truth. So after the Lord testifies of the Savior, he shows Moses the earth. He shows Moses the creations. In verse 8, And it came to pass that Moses looked and beheld the world upon which he was created. So he beholds the world and all the children of men which are on it, and all that were created, and he grate- gratefully marveled and wondered. And that's where his vision ends. So he is introduced to the Lord. He's told he's a son of God in the similitude of the only begotten. And it's told he has an important work to do. And then he sees all of Heavenly Father's numerous creations, all the worlds and us upon it. So we go to verse 9. And the presence of God withdrew from Moses. And when the glory was not upon Moses, he was left unto himself and he fell unto the earth. Right. So he has this powerful experience. And then for the space of many hours, he had to wait before he was able to gain his strength again. And because of this, he says, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. But now mine own eyes have beheld God but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. So he talks about how powerful of an experience this was probably one of the most fundamental and powerful spiritual experiences Moses ever had in his life. He literally was transfigured and saw the face of God and spoke to him and was told he was his son and saw his many creations. And this is where we get into the part that I really love. So in verse 12, immediately after this powerful experience, right? Jump to verse 12. And it came to pass that when Moses had said these words, behold, Satan came tempting him. Immediately, these spiritual experiences, no matter how powerful, do not exempt us from temptation. In fact, they often invite us. And in my life, I've seen that after a powerful spiritual experience, that's when Satan comes along. As we see here in verse 12, what he tries to do is to get us to doubt those experiences, to question them, and to not have a firm grasp on those truths that were just revealed to us. In Moses' case here, he was just told that he was a son of God. Satan says unto him, Moses, son of man, worship me. So immediately, Satan comes tempting Moses, trying to get him to doubt what he was just told, that no, he's not a son of God, he's a son of man. Immediately trying to get him to doubt what Heavenly Father had just revealed to him. But Moses is able to discern between him and the Lord. I, I love verse 13. This is particularly the verse of scripture that stuck to me and, and made me love uh, Moses chapter one for what it is. So verse 13, and it came to pass that Moses looked upon Satan and said, who art thou? For behold, I am a son of God in the similitude of his only begotten. And where is thy glory that I should worship thee? In essence, he says, well, who do you think you are? You've got no glory. I am a son of God and I have seen his glory. Where's yours? Who do you think you're trying to be, right? He immediately just shuts him down and then begins to express how he is able to discern the difference between God's glory and the lack of Satan's glory. He's able to discern. We see it also pop up in verse 15 and verse 18. He says, and I can judge between thee and God. I can judge between him and thee. And this is something that has been on my mind a lot, the importance and necessity of righteous judgment. We talk about judgment a lot in Christianity and in the church and the importance of charity and not judging, particularly as we encounter new individuals with unique experiences. Yeah, judgment, we're not supposed to judge others. If we go to the section of scripture where the savior himself teaches us, Matthew chapter seven, verse one, judge not that you be not judged. Very short scripture to the point. But if we look at, as we're seeing the translation of the Bible, and those truths being brought back. The Joseph Smith translation of verse one in the footnotes we see. Now, these are the words which Jesus taught his disciples that they should, that they should say unto the people, judge not unrighteously that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. This is something that is absolutely crucial. Righteous judgment. What does that mean? You can simply put it as just discernment between right and wrong, a necessary type of judgment. Judgment is just recognizing what is right and what is wrong and making a decision based off that, right? Like a judge in a court case. They take the two cases, the defendant and the accuser, they look at what is right and wrong and they make a decision. That's what righteous judgment is. We make judgments all the time, right? Should I have donut one or donut two? Should I watch this TV show or this TV show? Right, we, may, we make judgments constantly and that's what righteous judgment is, is being able to discern influences of righteousness and influence of darkness, whatever they may be from individuals, from ourselves, within our mind, and being able to recognize what is righteous and what is not. It's a very, very necessary thing. Now, that doesn't mean that we should put someone down and say, oh, I judge righteously and they're not good. No, it's nothing like that. It's to recognize what choices are good and what choices are bad for ourselves. That's what righteous judgment is. Okay, so to move on from that real quickly to continuing here. So Moses has one of the most powerful and profound spiritual experiences of his life. He sees the face of God. Satan comes and immediately, tempts him, and tries to get him to doubt that he is the son of that he is a son of God. He tries to call him a son of mad. And this is how this is something we need to remember because this is something not just in our experiences like Moses, but constantly Satan is trying to get all of us, Moses or otherwise, to doubt who we are and to doubt our worth. And we need to remember this in verse sixteen. Get thee hence, Satan! Deceive me not. For God said it unto me, thou art after the similitude of mine only begotten. God said it unto me. And I promise and testify, God has said it unto each of you. You are his child, his son, or his daughter. We'll get into it more here in a moment. But he knows you. Do not let anyone, Satan especially, trick you or deceive you. Your worth is infinite. Never, ever doubt that. Okay, continuing with Moses' stories here. So he has to call on the strength of the Lord and causes Satan to be cast out. There's a moment where he tries to dismiss him. He says, I can judge between him and thee, depart hence Satan. And when Moses had said these words, Satan cried with a loud voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, saying, I'm the only begotten, worship me. So when we try to dismiss these temptations, we try to dismiss doubt. Satan then begins to lie, try to deceive us. Okay, if I can't get you to doubt it, let me try and deceive you and make you think something else. So Moses experiences this and he fears, and to overcome this fear, he has to call upon the strength of God. Nevertheless, calling upon God, he receives strength. Verse 21, and Moses received strength and called upon God, saying, in the name of the only begotten, depart hence, saying. Moses, in, in his strong temptations and his strong encounter with the adversary, had to call upon the strength of God, not once, but twice. This is something we have to do. We have to choose to seek out that strength. But if we do, I testify that Heavenly Father will give it to us and deliver us from those things. So Moses goes through this incredible experience where he sees the face of God and is told his worth. Satan comes along and tempts him, tries to deceive him, and is so overpowering that Moses begins to fear, but luckily through the strength of God, he overcomes it. And later in verse 24, and it came to pass that Satan had departed from the presence of Moses, that Moses lifted up his eyes unto heaven, being filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is something that I love. There's a lot of decisions in our life where we're confronted with the forces of the adversary. It may not be an encounter like Moses has here. It may be in situations among friends in which we're uncomfortable and we recognize something wrong is being done and we need to be the individual to speak out. It may be in private moments when Satan tempts us to click on something on our phone that we know we shouldn't or to do something that we shouldn't or say something to someone we shouldn't or to choose not to do something that we know is important. And so we have these encounters and we try to do the right thing. And sometimes it's really scary. It's intimidating. It's daunting. And it takes a lot of courage. And when we do these things, when we make a righteous and often difficult decision, the harder right, as President Monson called it, the spirit is sent to uplift and to comfort, but also to confirm the truth of that decision. As the scripture says, it being filled with the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of the Father and the Son. In those moments, the Holy Ghost will come to us and once again testify of the truths of the gospel, testify of Jesus Christ and his Father so that we can know that the decision we made is in line with their teachings and their principles. We can understand what we did was right. The Spirit will come to uplift, comfort, and also to confirm the righteousness of that difficult decision you made. It's a powerful truth we get there in the encounter between the adversary and Moses right after spiritual experience. It's something that we can rely on consistently. Again, we may not confront the adversary as directly as Moses did, but we will consistently have encounters with his forces and with his temptations. And if we can have the strength like Moses to discern what is right and what is wrong, and then have the determination despite fear or difficulty to consistently rely on the strength of the Lord to overcome that temptation, we will be better off. So because of this, because of Moses's willingness to cast out Satan and to do the right thing, the Lord comes upon him again and gives him a elaborates further on this truth. He just taught tells Moses more about who he is and about how he has chosen and he will be made stronger than the many waters and how God has a work for him to do truths that he wouldn't have been taught if he would have given in. It's very powerful from Moses. So if we jump ahead a little bit, the Lord shows him the creations again, right? The numbers were, their numbers were growing. So this is what it says here. Verse 28, And he he beheld also the inhabitants thereof, and there was not a soul which he beheld not. And he discerned them by the Spirit of God, and their numbers were great, even numberless as the sands upon the seashore. And he beheld many lands, and each land was called earth, and they were inhabitants on the face of thereof. So he sees numberless creations and individuals, and he wonders in verse 30, tell me, I pray thee, why these things are so, and by what thou madest them? So he wonders, right? The great question that so many have asked, why, how did this come about? Where did this come from type of thing? And so the Lord answers him, gives him a brief history lesson about how things were made, about how they were made by the power of the sun, the only begotten, and how they were created with him and uh, a history of Adam. And then Moses asks again, tell me concerning this earth and the inhabitants thereof, and also the heavens, and then thy servant will be, un- be content. So after this, after this history lesson of these creations, Moses still wonders, well, tell me about... I get the creations now, I get, I get the worlds, I get earth. What about the individuals on it? And this is where the Lord teaches us something powerful. Well, let's jump back before that in verse 35. The Lord is talking about all these numberless creations, he said, and there are many, he says, and there are many that now stand, oh, let me jump here, talking about his creations, he says, and innumerable are they unto man, but all things are numbered unto me, for they are mine, and I know them. Again, as Moses asks about the heavens and about the individuals, but they are numbered unto me, for they are mine. Among the innumerable creations, Heavenly Father wants us to know that He knows us personally. He knows who you are, not the collective you, you individually. He knows your name and He knows your experiences. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you will go through. And He knows how to help you and how to help you succeed. He knows your worth. He knows you. You're numbered. You will never be unnoticed or forgotten. It's a powerful, powerful truth. And right after this, we get an incredible verse of scripture that we probably all know from scripture mastery. Moses 139, for behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So after Moses sees this incredible vision about all that God has created and all that he has done, he understands that all of this is for us to bring about our eternal life. God's work is about us and about us being equal with Him and reaching His joy. It's powerful. After someone would see all the, the great creations of the Lord and all that has been done, to understand this is all done for you and for all of you to receive eternal life. It's for you. Such love. Okay, so let's wrap about Moses chapter 1 here. Verse 41. So like I talked about, The Bible, as we know, this is Genesis 1 that was translated. The Bible had a lot of truths that were lost. And we see God promise this, and it's fulfilled. Verse 41, And in a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as not, and take many of them from the book which thou shalt write, many truths will be lost. Behold, I will raise up another like unto thee, Joseph Smith, and they shall be had again among the children of men, among as many as shall believe. Us reading these words, us talking about these, studying them and come follow me is a fulfillment of that prophecy and of that revelation. The Lord knew that things would be lost and prepared a way for these important truths to be restored. And they are. It is a fulfillment. God keeps his word and his promises no matter how long it takes. Verse 42, here to close it out here, it talks about what these words were, that they were spoken unto Moses, and how when we see them, when they're spoken unto us, show them not unto any except them that they believe. So this is a reminder that these powerful spiritual experiences that we're going to have throughout this year with Come Follow Me, not everything needs to be shared. I'm sharing some experiences here. I hope that you will too. That's missionary work. We should do that. It's very powerful. We share our testimonies in Fast Sunday, but some things are for us. Some things are meant to be sacred. And that's an important thing to remember that as we have these spiritual truths, even as Satan comes along to tempt us and to make us doubt, as we hold on to those truths and don't doubt, some things are just for us. And that's okay. We don't have to share everything. Keep it for yourself and hold on to it. But remember, some things are definitely worth sharing with the right individuals in the right circumstances, just like this book is, okay? So let's wrap up Moses chapter one and move on to Abraham three here real quickly. So a brief summary. Moses sees a vision of the world, the entire creation. He's tempted by Satan. He overcomes him. The Lord comes back and shows him even more, promises that he has a work to do and testifies of the importance of his work and that it is for us to receive eternal life. Two powerful truths, I think, are taught from this. The Lord knows us among all of his creations, endless as they are. He knows us. And his work is for us. It is to bring about our eternal life. Even as Heavenly Father speaks about these powerful truths, he can't help but mention His Son, His only begotten, and how He is essential to that work and that glory. It's amazing. And so I love this question that the Come Follow Me book mentioned. How do these truths affect the way you view yourself and the world around you. It's something that I think and talk about a lot. We see a lot of people searching for truth in the world, trying to derive purpose and meaning out of many different things that are important. And I don't want to take away from any of those. But ultimately, can any of those hold a flame to eternal life and that worth and that purpose? I'm invested in these scriptures and in these things because I understand that my life does not end on earth. And it didn't start on earth. And that I have a purpose here and that I have value beyond what I can currently understand. It influences my decisions daily. And as individuals don't have that, they're, they're grasping for something that can give them heading and direction in their life. And we are so lucky to have it and to be able to share it. I love Moses chapter one, if you can tell. Let's move on to Abraham three. The book of Abraham in general, and the Pearl of Great Price especially is gets into a lot of deeper doctrine. Now, it's something that is really interesting with the book of Abraham. It was actually translated from papyri that Joseph was given that was found in Egypt, and Joseph was translated, and that's how we have the book of Abraham, because Abraham's experiences in Egypt. So in Abraham chapter 3, there's a lot of great and powerful teachings here. We get into a lot of the deeper doctrine. This is where our knowledge of Kolob comes from. The song, If You Could Hide a Kolob, right? We get that knowledge from the book of Abraham. There's a lot to unpack in this chapter, but it starts very similar to how the book of Moses started, even though this isn't the first chapter. What we're studying here is a vision or a visitation that Abraham had with God and seen him face to face, just like Moses did, right? We jump to verse 12 all the way there. Same thing, Abraham, and he put his hand upon mine eyes, and I saw those things which his hands had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes, and I could not see the end thereof. So just like Moses described, Abraham saw the creations of God and saw how endless they were, and how how powerful God was in his creation of them. Right? And then it continues, we learn about Kolob, one of as Abraham sees the creations of God, he sees Kolob, which is the star closest to God, and how there are many stars throughout God's creations, like we have our sun that is a star, and how each of these stars generate different times, and that we are to be among our specific time of reckoning until we come near unto the throne of God, like it says in verse 10, and is given unto thee to know the set time of all the stars that are set to give light until they'll come near unto the throne of God, right? Earlier in the chapter, about the different times. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But as we continue through the book of Abraham, we get a little bit of foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Abraham's future, the Abrahamic covenant, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about this year in the Old Testament. Verse 14 kind of hints at it. It was in the night time when the Lord spake these words unto me, I will multiply thee and thy seed after thee like unto these. And if thou cast count the numbers of sand shall, shall be the numbers of thy seed. So we see that the Abrahamic covenant is already promised to Abraham. And we'll, we'll get into a lot more of that this year. I'm, I'm sure. Now, as we get into the second half of the chapter, there's a lot more to discuss. Jumping all the way to verse 22, this used to be scripture mastery. I don't think it is anymore. So starting in verse 22, Now the Lord had shown unto me, Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls that they were good. And he stood in the midst of them. And he said, These all make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits. And he saw that they were good. And he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them. thou was chosen before thou was born. So we understand that God knew us. He saw our brightness before we were created and elected some of us, chose us before we were born. So this idea of being chosen is something called foreordination, similar how you are ordained to an office. You are foreordained. This is different than predetermination. Foreordination is a lot like a choice. We are chosen for a specific work that God needs us to do. In Abraham's case, he was chosen as a prophet. Our patriarchal blessings are really great at revealing what God has chosen us and needs us to do, helping us understand to some extent what God adds of us. But it's important to understand that foreordination doesn't mean that these things will happen without control. That's what uh, predetermination is, or foredetermination, that it just will happen. Foreordination is that we have been called to these things, called to these assignments, to these specific works. We've been chosen to do them. The choice to live up to that, to fulfill that, is still up to us, still up to us and our responsibility with our agency. So to jump back to a question we talked about earlier, how do these truths affect the way you view yourself and the world around you? This knowledge changes my life consistently to believe we have been chosen for a specific work. That's life-changing, to believe that there is purpose in your actions and in following God's counsel and in seeking it out, seeking out his voice and his guidance in your life, trying to follow it where you can and to choose the harder right to fulfill, out of love for him, what he has Foreordained you to do. Now, it's really interesting as we continue this, jump back a little bit to verse 20. Got to turn the page here. So in verse 20, it says, the Lord thy God sent his angel to deliver thee from the hands of the priest of Elkanah. So we'll get into this more when we study Abraham chapter one, but even if the Lord has to deliver us from death on an, a, a sacrificial altar where someone's going to kill us, he will. God will deliver us to be able to perform our work if we will have faith and be obedient to his guidance. Seek it out. So Abraham, obviously we know he was a prophet. He wrote the Pearl of Great Price, right? The Abrahamic covenant is named after him. Abraham is described as a noble and great one, a prophet. He was chosen. Foreordination though, it's important as we talk about this, doesn't just apply to the Lord's prophets or leaders. Yes, the prophets are foreordained, they have a lot of work to do. Joseph Smith, it's talked a lot about him and how he was foreordained in the scriptures, but it doesn't just apply to prophets. So if we jump all the way back to, to verse 18, okay? If the, it's talking about two different spirits. If there be two spirits and one shall be more intelligent than the other. Okay, I'm going to cut myself off there. So we see that some spirits are greater or more intelligent or brighter than the other, whatever words you want to use to describe it. Heavenly Father doesn't hide this knowledge from us, but he also reminds us in this same verse, verse 18. So the Lord reminds us, notwithstanding, I got to go back a few words. Yet these two spirits, notwithstanding one is more intelligent than the other, have no beginning. They existed before, they shall have no end, they shall exist after, for they are Gonolium, I think is how you say it, which is a Hebrew word, which means eternal. Okay, so although... Notwithstanding the difference in their intelligence, both spirits are eternal. Both have the same worth and the same eternal potential. Okay, jumping forward again. This is a test, our life here on earth. Verse 25, okay? So verse 25, when talking about the creation of the earth says, And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. We are here to prove ourselves if we will be obedient. And if we keep our second estate, as the scriptures describe, we shall have glory added upon our heads forever and ever. To receive the glory of God, that is our potential. Let's go back to verse 18, right? That talked about the differences in these two spirits, but how they were both eternal. So it's talking about them. Okay, we'll keep reading into verse 19. And the Lord said unto me, these two facts do exist, that there are two spirits, one being more intelligent than the other. Okay, that's just a fact, a truth. There's different intelligence and different levels of brightness between individuals. We see that all the time, but the Lord continues, there shall be another more intelligent than they. I am the Lord thy God. I am more in- intelligent than they all. Okay. So even if there is the most intelligent on the earth, the Lord, our God is the most intelligent, the brightest of us all. And that is our potential in eternal life. Okay, it doesn't matter if we were the less intelligent one or the more intelligent one. The scriptures don't say that this glory added upon our heads forever and ever are reserved just for the more intelligent ones. No, it's reserved for the individuals who are obedient to the will of God. And their opportunity is eternal life. Because of the gift of Jesus Christ, the only beyond of the Father, each of us have that potential. The atonement of Jesus Christ was not just for the more intelligent, not just for the prophets There isn't a select section of the celestial kingdom just for prophets and leaders. It's for everyone that has done all things whatsoever. The Lord, their God shall command them. I promise your potential is only limited by your choices. Okay. Verse 26. And they who keep their first estate shall be added upon. And they who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom. Who with those who kept their first estate. So our first estate is in premoral life. We talk about the war in heaven when Satan Lucifer opposed the plan of God and he had people following him. If we jump all the way down to 28 and the second was angry and kept not his first estate. And at that day, many followed after him. So that's our first estate. If you are here on earth, you have kept your first estate. You chose to follow the savior and heavenly father's plan. And because of that, you were able to receive a body and come to earth and to have a chance to prove yourself. If you would be obedient. And if you keep your second estate, which is our life on earth, and they who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. I think it's important to remember that distinction that very rarely do things, you know, differences or comparisons between individuals be brought out like this in the scriptures. More commonly, we hear those truths that if you are obedient, if you are faithful, if you live the gospel, right? That whatever it teaches that you will receive glory and that is true. I promise that, I know this true. The atonement of Jesus Christ is not just for select individuals, it is for everyone, even people who choose not to accept it. The Savior suffered for everyone so that all of us can have the opportunity to become as glorious and as full of joy and as full as intelligent and light as our Father in heaven is. There's an incredible quote that was in my seminary building when I was in high school from Lorenzo snow fifth prophet of the church. He said, I'm just going to quote part of it as God now is man. may be.' I believe that's true. I believe that the signs are in the scriptures. If we look for it, glory added upon our heads forever and ever. I think that's important that there are unique things that the Lord has called us to do here. Abraham, he was called to do a lot. We're going to see that throughout the old Testament, the pearl of great price. Joseph Smith, he was called to do a lot. Moses was called to do a lot. President Nelson, he's called to do a lot. You are bishop and your stake president, your Relief Society president or your young women's leader, and even yourself, you're called to do things unique to your life and your circumstances and your intelligence. But your potential is not limited only by your obedience and your reliance on the gift of Jesus Christ and his grace by living his gospel and doing all things whatsoever. The Lord thy God shall command you the potential is powerful. I, I love the book of Abraham. I love the Pro of Great Price because it teaches us these things as, as it does get into those fun things that are fun to talk about, like Kolob or the deeper doctrines. More than anything, it teaches us who we are, where we came from as sons and daughters of God and what our potential is. And that influences our life consistently. And I love those truths. I love that the Lord wants to show us what we can become. So your patriarchal blessing, if you haven't read it, if you have one, read it again and pray about and ask Heavenly Father what he wants you to become and if he's pleased with your efforts. If you haven't got a patriarchal blessing, consider getting one. I'm not, it's up to you when you should get it, but consider it. The truths it will reveal to you about who you are, I think, are things that can be great to rely on in this trying time. The, we are in as as youth and you're in as youth. There's a lot of forces trying to tell us who we are, who we should be and have that source that we know is from God and is clearly about you. An individual declaration of who you are and who you can become. It's great to rely on. We're done talking about that. Let's move on to this last thing here that I'm going to do at the end of every episode called the focus. Right so the title of the show is Focus on the Light. It's a phrase that I try to remind myself on throughout all the distractions and requirements and business of the day to try and focus on the light of the Savior. And okay so what is the focus of these sections? What can we take away from it and apply into our lives? What you know, I may not be thinking about Abraham and how he had a vision and and all these things in this history was declared, but I can be thinking about things that apply to me. And so three things kind of came to mind between Moses chapter one and Abraham chapter three. First, a warning about spiritual lessons and what follows that Satan is going to try and make us doubt specifically trying to make us doubt who we are as a child of God. We should not forget that. And what, how powerful that statement is. We sing that song all the time. I am a child of God, how powerful that really is. And as part of that, how to overcome the temptation to continually rely on the strength of the Lord. And that's one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture, the strength of the Lord. So that's lesson one. Satan trying to make us doubt after great spiritual truths taught to us and how to overcome the temptation. Second, better understanding of heavenly father and our relationship to him as his children with infinite worth and purpose and potential. And that's kind of the third one as well. Your purpose on earth that you are called to do and your potential to do good in the world and to receive glory forever. A specific and unique work from God is for you. He needs you to do it. And this is a proving time to show God our obedience that we might have glory added to our heads forever and ever. If I could remember those things perfectly every day and every moment of my life, my actions would be a lot different. I think I could avoid a lot of mistakes. I'm really grateful for the scriptures to teach me this this morning. As I was preparing this lesson, I was home alone. I had some quiet time. Of course, as I've seen in my life, good things are happening and Satan comes along tempting me to do something I know I shouldn't do. And it was hard. But what kept me from doing it is continually over and over again, reminding myself who I really was and what I was here to do, to apply what I had just read. Honestly, it was hard. It took persistence and it took a real belief in no, I I want to do the right thing because I want to prove to Heavenly Father that I will be obedient, that I will not doubt. It's not something that I could not just nonchalantly brush away. I had to really believe in it, and therefore live by it who I was, the price that has been paid for me, and what it means for what I can become. It is a powerful truth that you can rely on in those moments. When you feel Satan tempting you to do something wrong, remind yourself who you are and where you came from and what you're here to do, to prove yourself to Heavenly Father that you will be obedient to his words. So those are my focuses. Remember, as you learn these spiritual truths, whether it's from this or, or your own study or from the Holy Ghost, Satan will get, we'll get you to try and doubt it. Don't do that. Rely on the strength of the Lord and overcome that temptation, whether it's temptations of doubt or any other temptation. Rely on the strength of the Lord. Remember who you are your relationship to heavenly father as his child and remember your potential and your purpose. So what a, what a powerful thing to learn from come follow me. I I love the scriptures. I really do. I bear testimony of them that they are the word of God from prophets long past to living prophets. They speak the word and the will of God regarding us and our lives. And if we will be obedient, there's great potential, eternal potential that I can't even comprehend. And I, I testify that that is ultimately reached through our agency to rely on the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't get ourselves into heaven. The Savior does. Jesus Christ gets us there. But our choices matter to follow that individual who will get us there. He has set the way. He has made it possible. He just asks us to do it his way. I know the savior lives and his atonement is real and it can cleanse your life. And I know the scriptures are the word of God and I love them. I share my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you listen to this whole thing, please share this with your family members, with your friends, anybody else. You know, I, I I just love to share the gospel. I love talking about it. I love the scriptures. I love talking about them. And I just want to be able to share my love with as many people as possible. So if you know someone who enjoyed this, share with them, subscribe. To focus on the light wherever you get podcasts, including on YouTube, share it with individuals. If you want to reach out to me, you can. My email is in the in the show notes. You can send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing your testimonies with me. And uh, I guess I'll see you next week.